I feel we should be doing something else. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you that for our church. I thank you that we can come and worship you. I thank you for the blessing this uh, community is to us, our friends, our family. And Lord, I just pray that as we continue to journey out of COVID, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to align ourselves with your heart in a greater way. Help us to really uh, sense where the wind of your Holy Spirit is leading, not just well, yes, the, the global church, but our church in particular. Help, help our elders to be able to understand the signs of the times. Lord, we don't want to, we don't want, want to just be a church that just does its thing and, and ticks a box and, and has little effect in our community. Lord, we want to be your church. We want to be your people. We want to accomplish your plans. We want to have your heart. And so, Lord, we, we understand that, that the transformation on the inside comes from you. But today, Lord, we want to just acknowledge, we want to surrender to you. We want to, we want to give up our own way. We want to be willing to, to lay aside our own agendas and pursue all that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you give us a vision to see the purpose and plan of your church in our society, in our families, in Newcastle. And so, Lord, I help us to, to figure this out and help us to know that you've promised to be with us all the time. You've promised to never leave us or forsake us. And so we just thank you for your presence and the power of your spirit that's in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, we are on a... Thanks, Heath, for that. Are we recording the sermon okay? At this stage, we're just doing audio recordings until we get our, uh, our online product restarted. So if anyone misses this message, you can go to our church website and listen to the audio recording. Uh, you can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and it'll get sent to your phone every week. How exciting. You can have me talking to you every day, every week. My kids and family get this, so you can get a taste what it's like to be in my world. Everyone's going to unsubscribe now. You watch. <coughs> okay, so we are on a journey trying to, trying to discover what the future church can look like especially since we're trying to navigate out of COVID. I read a, 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 I read a lot of things uh, during the week, but someone's saying, what happens if, if this current season we're in, what happens if that is not just a transition? What happens if this is the future of church? If, if we're going to be bound by all sorts of challenges and, and limitations, future of church, future of society. And so, so uh, sometimes we just think we're just in a holding pattern until things get back to normal, till things will get back to the way things were before. And I, I believe things aren't going to get back the way things were before. Uh, but that's okay, uh, because God is with us here and now, and he will be with us as we move forward. And so this, uh, the society and culture that we're living in is an incredibly busy time. Who thinks it's busy? Hands up if you think it's busy. I know half of you didn't tell the truth um, or didn't raise your hand. We've got a whole range of things that we're struggling with, struggling with technology, mental health issues, consumerism, exhaustion, fear, loneliness, tolerance, intolerance, breakdown of relationship. Our, our society seems to be, to me, it seems to be unravelling. It seems to me that we're flowing in a stream where there are very little moral or ethical absolutes. What I think is right is right. What you think is right is right. And so we live in this world that is, that is becoming very polarised. People are getting, it's a, it's a world of rage. And you can see that on TV, on media. People are getting, and I'm not against any of the causes that people are being passionate for. And I think it's great that, that women are standing up and, and that they should not be abused and exploited the way that have been. That is wrong. 
But, uh, but we're seeing that that's just an example. You could pick a whole range of things from uh, cultural or, or skin color or marriage or gender or whatever. Our world is so quickly polarizing between, between opinions and it's getting very aggressive. It's the age of outrage. And so it seems that the world has, in many ways, it seems the world has lost its way. It's a compass that has lost its magnet and it's just spinning and there's no absolute right, there's no absolute wrong. And uh, sometimes looking at this, it can be easy to become despondent. It can be easy to go, oh, gee, this is just too hard. And uh, it's too challenging or it's too hopeless. But I want to tell us all that there is hope. Tell the person next to you, there is hope. There is hope for our families. I'm not talking about vaccinations. I'm talking about true hope. There is hope for our families. There is hope for our community. There is hope, uh, yeah, there is hope for our, uh, our, our personal walks. Our hope is not found in governments. It's not found in whether or not there's life on Mars. I'm, yeah, it, it, I, it, I, don't, I don't think they're going to find it, to be honest. I don't think they're going to find the Goldilocks planet that is going to be able to sustain life and for us to be able to get there and live there. I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm not being negative, don't put me down. I just don't think that's, because that's not the hope that the world is looking for. Well, it is the world, that's the hope they think they need. Our hope, I believe, can only be found in Jesus. In Matthew, 20, in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew was quoting the prophet Isaiah and he said regarding Jesus, his name will be called the hope of the world. Can I encourage you, one of the greatest things the church has for our world today is hope. Hope in the midst of fear and loneliness and depression and sadness and, anxi and, and anxiety. The hope of Jesus. So I have great confidence in the genius of God. I have great confidence that, that God can help us navigate our churches and our people and our society. <coughs> should, our, should our society partner with him, I have great confidence that he will help us. And I really believe that now is the time for the church to be all that God's called us to be. I be. I'm passionate for that. I really believe this is the season for the church. This is the season for us to really take hold of who God's called us to be and to be the salt and the light that Jesus is also asking us to be. So we're looking at a passage talking about the church where Jesus in, in the book of Matthew talks about the church that he'll build and uh, the power and the potential of, of the church. Now, the word that Jesus uses for the word church is the word ecclesia. Everyone say ecclesia. You've just learned your first Greek word. Say suvlaki. <laughs> there we go. You've done two. So, so the word ecclesia is the Greek word for church, and it identifies, this, it, it's an it's a ancient Greek and transported into the Roman culture where the king would call people out. He'd say, I want you to come and meet with me. He'd send letters out to the little uh, empire and say, I want you to come and meet with the king and I'm going to tell you my mandate, my plans for, for, to action in this place. And then the people who gather, they come, they hear the words of the king and then they go out to the uttermost ends of the kingdom with the message of the king. That is the ecclesia. That is, that is when Jesus said, I am going to build my church. In fact, in Matthew 16, verse 18, this is what Jesus says about the church. He says, I will put together my church, my ecclesia, a church so expansive with energy, so that not even the gates of hell 
will be able to keep it out. This is Jesus' plan for the church. This is what happens when, when people understand that we are part of the church. Jesus calls us together. He speaks his word, his life, his mandate to us. He gives us his instruction. And then he sends us to our universities, to our schools, to our, to our hospitals, to our, to our offices. He sends us to the gyms and to the, to the coffee shops. He sends us with his message, with their plan for us to take it to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is a great example of that. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto him, and now I send you. The same thing happening. This is the church. This is Jesus' plan for the church. And a church that way, Jesus said, is going to be so powerful. Now, church history has shown us this. Even in countries where church is banned, where it's outlawed, the underground church is flourishing. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said he will build his church. Now, if, if, we, if we are going to believe the Bible, we've, we've got to believe all of it. We can't pick and choose the bits we want to believe. And so I, I believe Jesus said that he will build his church. Church history over the last 2,000 years has seen that the, the opposition come against the church and, and push it back and try to shut it down, but it cannot be shut down. It cannot be shut down because Jesus is at work building the church. He's done it before, and I'm confident that he will do it again. That's the genius of Jesus. So last week, I, I sort of made an important connection because when we talk about church, we can think about the institution. Um, or, or, the, or the denomination. But it's far more than the building we meet in. It's far more than our programs or our services. Church is us. Church is you and me. Church is us being together, coming together, hearing the Word of God, not, not from a me talking to you perspective, but by each one of us getting, getting so close to the King that we hear His heart, that we hear His Word, and we take, yes, gathering together is great, but we take what, he he what we hear and we take it to, to where he sends us. That is church. And, so, uh, and, and church is made up of disciples or, or uh, followers of Jesus or apprentices is the word I introduced last year, which probably gives us a better idea on what a disciple is. And uh, you, you know the three goals by now. What are the three goals of a disciple of Jesus? First one, be with Jesus. Second one, Become like Jesus. Third one, do what Jesus did. So that's, that's the three goals. If you were a, a first century disciple hanging around uh, the, the, the master Jesus, that would be your goal, to be with him, to spend time with him, to, uh, to hear him and, and be transformed and ultimately become like your teacher and, or in the Jewish days, become like your rabbi and so that you'd then be able to do what he did. And so as we explore the possibility, I know the title is Future Church, but the reality is I think God is looking at, calling us to look at what discipleship looks like. Not, not discipleship in first century Israel, but discipleship in the chaos and the busyness of our modern world. And by extension, as we look at discipleship, we'll see what happens when each one of us come together and, and we, we have this gathering, this group, or the ecclesia, what God can do when individuals catch a hold of his plan and purpose for their lives. That's what, that, that, that will define the future church. And so last week I started talking about something I believe is one of the greatest challenges today. It is, it is elevating me above you. I should probably be on the floor on this one to, because I am above you at the moment. But um, I'm talking about self. I'm talking about when my rights, my opinions, my needs, my wants, my desires, my comfort, 
my convenience, when that is more important than yours. And, and you look at our society and it is flooded by this, this concept of me. It's concept of what I want. My, all, all that stuff I said. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm not saying you, God's calling us to be a doormat to let anyone do whatever to us. We do have rights. We do have opinions. We do have needs that are worth standing up for. We do have God-given talents and dreams that are worth pursuing and being the very best we can. We do have a responsibility to look after our families. We have a responsibility to look after our bodies, our minds, our emotions. We do need to be able to receive before we can give out. We do need to be able to rest before we work. So when I'm talking about making it less about us, I'm talking about how do we do those important things but still keep Jesus on the throne? The problem is we pursue, it could be health, it could be uh, uh, finances, it could be education. And we, yeah, they're good goals, they're, they're, they're important goals. The problem is we take Jesus off the throne and we put us on the throne. We, we elevate ourselves. And so while I, am, while I am on the throne, I'm in control of my life. And that's what the world says, you are in control of your life. But the problem is when I am on the throne, I typically view people to serve my needs. To make me feel good, to make me feel loved, to make me feel valuable, to make me feel wanted. I look to people to fulfill my needs. When I am on the throne, I am looking after number one. And the problem is this view of self not only affects how we view people, it affects how I view God. Because then if, I'm, if, if, if my whole mindset is it's all about me, then God is all about me. He is there to serve me. He is there to meet my needs. He is there to bless my business. He is there to make me feel good. He is there to approve my ideas. Can you see something faulty here? Because our, we are so caught up in this river of self, like the chalk and the, and the Colgate liquid getting into the chalk, it does get in. Even as Christians, this is Jesus talking to disciples here. Even as Christians, we can allow the things of the world to, to get into us. And we can be influenced by those things. And so we start to view God through the lens of self. We start to view God as the one, like the, like the genie in a bottle. I want to, I want to pause for a moment because I really think this, this is really faulty thinking. Firstly, God is, God is deeply interested in you. He thinks, well, the Bible tells me you are his masterpiece. He looks at you and he, and he nudges his angels and he goes, hey, check out, check out Dave. Check out Bob. Check out Kelly. God, God is deeply interested and cares and loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And he is a good father. And he wants to lavish his love, his grace, and his favor upon you. And he's given you in his words so many great and precious promises of life and of healing and of hope. But he's not a genie in a bottle. <coughs> he's, not, he's not waiting to say, oh, what, can I, what, can I, what can I do for you? He's not a butler, a cosmic butler, waiting at our beck and call for us to ring the bell. Oh, yes, what can I do for you? Uh, our, our view of self has affected our view of God. He's not there to serve us. And I think there's the fault line in our approach to God. And that's created because we have got self the culture of self is so ingrained in us. The reality is we are here to serve him. 
But you know what? That's not the end game. Sometimes I think my, my, my purpose in life is just to serve God. And that's not your purpose in life. I read a great book that says recommend. That book was sensational, says with. And I'll, I'll talk about that another time. But there was a sensational book because it says that we approach God for a whole range of reasons. One is because we have to serve him. And he was, he's the boss. <clears throat> we've got to do what he says and, and, and serve him. And, and, or we've got to give our life to, to change the world. And all those things are, are maybe part of our approach to God. But ultimately, God designed us to be with him. Not, not, not to serve him. So you look at Mary and Martha. Ma- Martha was there serving Jesus. And there's times we need to serve, but Mary was there with Jesus. And so sometimes, even in church life, we can get so caught up in serving and doing that we forget the withing. That's a good word, Sam. We forget being with him. Or we can get so caught up in trying to change the world for God's glory. Yes, that's great. But we forget the withing. We forget being with him. And so serving him is not the end game. God created us to be with him. Starts in the Garden of Eden, right at the beginning and right at the end. God presences himself with us. That's his goal. And so uh, that we would be with him, to enjoy him, to enjoy his blessing, to enjoy his favour. That's our goal, to be with Jesus. We talked about the goals of discipleship. Number one was to be with him. But I've found the problem is in my efforts to be with Jesus, do you know what gets in the way? Myself. I get in the way. My convenience, my desires, my plans, my laziness, my whatever gets in the way of God's goal of being with me. And so the question is, how do we get rid of ourselves? How, how do we deal with this, this part of us that is being a blockage between receiving all that God has for us? How do we deal with this, this, this self which is, which is so caught up in our world systems that, that, it's, that we are missing God's systems and missing missing God's best. And so in the passage we're looking at, Jesus is going to help us uh, give us some tips on that one. And so um, I want to go back to Matthew 16, verse 21. I'm not going to spend too much time on these verses. We talked about them last week, uh, but I think there's, some, there's a progression of thought here it's important to look at. So Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and reprimanded him, saying such things. Heaven forbid it, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You know, just a few verses earlier, Jesus was talking about the power and the authority of the church. He was just telling Peter, you know, Peter, that's amazing. You had this revelation on how powerful the church can be. And so, um, now what, this is, in fact, this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first time Jesus starts talking about the cross. It's the first time he starts talking about his death. And no wonder Peter was a little bit confused. For up to this point, Jesus was talking about his kingdom and talking about a, a, a revolution of heart and mind and his kingdom touching and changing the world. And now Jesus has started talking about dying. And so Peter was confused. And, and Jesus rebuked Peter from seeing things merely from a human point of view instead of from God's point of view. Um, last week I was talking at, at our staff meeting, Ali was mentioning a message she heard from Pastor Chris Velotten 
who is from Bethel Church in, in uh, Reading. And um, he expressed something I think can really help us process uh, these next ver- few verses. Because I've spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks asking people, what do you think about these verses? In fact, your homework was to think about some of the verses that comes up. And so uh, Christopher Lawton put it this way. He talked about God's will and he talked about God's way. Everyone say God's will and God's way. Okay. And so God's will was that Jesus would be the Messiah, the saviour of the world, not just of the Jewish people, but ultimately for all who would surrender and give their lives to him. He came and died for all mankind. That was God's will. Peter and the disciples thought God's way of achieving that would be Jesus would raise up an army and Jesus would conquer uh, the Romans who were the, the, the nation that was oppressing the Jewish people. See, that was seeing things from a human point of view. God's will was that Jesus would give him his life as a ransom for many. God's will was that Jesus' life would not deal with just the enemy of, the, of Rome. God's will was that Jesus would deal with the enemy of sin and death. That was God's will. But God's ways required death, even death on a cross. The way to the empty tomb, the, the way to the joy we'll celebrate on, on, on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again, the, the, the journey to joy was a journey through a cross. So sometimes we want God's will. Lord, your will be done. We want God's will for our, our, our family, our, our, our lives, our, our, our businesses. We want God's will. We want God's best. But we resist God's way. Sometimes God's way walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God's way is the road marked with suffering. Sometimes God's way is the narrow way, the hard way. But God's way never ends in defeat. God's way always ends in life. God's way never ends in despair. God's way always ends in joy. And I think we need to, yes, we need to align ourselves with God's will. We all want that. But we need to also align ourselves with God's way. That was the cross. That was Jesus' cross. So now we come to the verses we, I said to have a think about this week in uh, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, you know, that's just my cross to bear. That's just the burden I've got to carry. That's just, it's a heavy cross, but that's mine to bear. Typically, that phrase is used when people are asked to do something they don't want to do or look after someone. Or, or that it's, it's Usually the cross you've got to bear is something you don't want to do, but you're accepting that's just the way it is. Now, that is not what Jesus meant. It, I mean, yeah, it sort of makes sense, but, but it's not what Jesus meant. Jesus was very specific. And the disciples, when you read the scriptures, it's really important to, to think about what would the listeners think. When Jesus starts talking about pick up your cross, did the disciples go, oh, well, you must be talking about this burden that, you know, of the sickness I've got to carry or this elderly mom or this. That's just the, the cross I've got to bear. Jesus is not talking about that at all. Jesus is talking about death. 
Jesus is talking about dying. First he's talking about denying, <coughs> denying yourself. Now he's talking about dying. Jesus says, you know what? There are some conditions to being a follower of Jesus. We need to give up our own way. Deny yourself, which is fine because on the whole, there's bits of ourself that we actually want to get rid of. Who's happy with themselves 100%? No one. I tell you what, that God is happy with you. And, and we'll learn in these verses that he's given us a way that we can, we can deal with this stuff inside of us. Or deal with this, this tension or this, this, this stretching and this struggle that we may have. And so, give up your own way. Deny yourself. That's not easy to do. I found even just this week after preaching this message, one of the hardest things I found to deny myself is my opinion of having to be right. That's hard. It's hard when you are right. <laughs> and humble, that's right. But, but the, the, the innate inside of me that says, you know what, I'm right and you're wrong. That, that's part of the self that I need to, there's a lot of other parts of myself I need to lay down and to, and to deal with. But I found, well, that's just interesting. And I, I think as, as we walk through this life, you're going to discover more and more parts of yourself that are thinking, you know what, that, that is not, I'm sure that's not what God wants or Jesus wants for me to be as his disciples. And so, Jesus' cross. Jesus' cross was what the Father required of him to pick up and carry in order for him to fulfill the Father's plans. That was Jesus' cross. That he would do whatever it takes, that he would obey the Father no matter what the cost was. That was the cross of Jesus. And then he looked, and so, so what about your cross? See, Jesus' cross meant death and sacrifice for the redemption of mankind. Jesus had to pick it up. He could have, he, he could have left it there. He could have said, you know what, this is just, dear Father God, this is just too hard. I'm, uh, this is just, uh, they're not worth it. It's, it's not worth my pain. It's not worth my inconvenience. It's not worth my suffering. Jesus could have said, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested because it's too hard. Jesus had a choice to pick up that cross, and he did it for you and me. But you know what? That is not our cross. I'm pretty sure none of us have been called to, to sacrifice our lives for the redemption of mankind. Anyone here who's been called to do that? I wouldn't think there would be. And so that is not our cross. Our cross is very different to Jesus' cross, but it's also very similar. I believe our cross is being prepared to do whatever the Father asks of us to see his kingdom come. I believe our cross is the ability for us, like Jesus, to do whatever in obedience. If that means I've got to lay down my, my, my selfishness or my laziness or my bad attitudes, if, that, if that's, what, that's what my cross is for me to understand, I've got to do whatever it takes for what the Father asks of me to see his kingdom come and to see people set free and find connection to the Father. That's what I believe our cross is. Being willing to obey. Oh, there's a word we don't like. As parents, we like it with our kids. Do you, hey, guys, do, do your parents say you must obey me? Occasionally. Is that when you're a bit naughty, Hugh? 
So how do you respond when that happens? Owie, what do you do when, when parents say, you've got to obey me? Owie says, sure. How does Owie go? No, anyway, don't tell me. <laughs> we don't like, who likes the word obey? I mean, none of us do, except for Wendy. And that's not talking to Peter, I know. But, um, but we resist that word. It comes across with such authority. It comes across with, you, don't, you just got to do what I say and I don't give a rip. You know, it can come across like that, but that's not the heart of it. The heart is, you know what, it's, it's respect and honour, obedience. It's certainly when it comes to obeying what God's saying, we don't need to. We, we can leave our cross. We, we can just choose to say, you know what, it's too hard. I'm just going to be happy just to come, do my church thing, tick my box. God, don't ask any more from me. Don't ask me to lay down my, 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 my stuff. Don't ask me to lay down my, my, my opinions. Don't ask me to lay down my finances. Don't ask me to lay down my time. We can choose to leave our cross. But my, the thing I've been challenged by is, am I willing to pick it up and do it no matter what the cost is? Even if that means my life. And, and, and for decades before us, people have given their life have denied their life to the point of death. Our cross also means death and sacrifice. Death to our old self, death to our old nature, death to our sinful self-observed life, self-obsessed life, death to our wrong thinking about God and about us, death to our desires that are less than God's desires. And you might be thinking, man, Mark, this is another heavy message. This is three heavy messages in a row. It's a bit harsh. I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just identifying that like that little, I used an example last week of a little puppy dog. Remember that ugly little pig dog someone tried to give me back when I was newly married? Hey, the, 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 the gift of salvation is not an ugly sheep dog, pig dog. Salvation that Jesus gives us is free. We can, we can accept and receive and enjoy the goodness of God for free. It costs Jesus something. It costs Father God something that none of us could ever pay. Salvation is a free gift, but we've got a responsibility with that. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower here, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take you working at saying no to yourself, denying yourself. And then it's going to take, you've got to pick up your cross. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? So being a follower of Jesus is not a passive activity. But the best news is, I want to finish with some good news, is that we don't have to do this by ourselves. Jesus knows that we can't do this by ourselves. That's why he's given us his Holy Spirit that lives in us. He's given us the power, his power, to walk the way he wants us to walk. And I want to wrap up and look at some of those thoughts in this space. The Apostle Paul uh, helps us understand a broader picture here. Uh, some really valuable insight on how to deal with our old self and how to find in, in this self-absorbed world, how do we find freedom? in this self-absorbed world. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, my old self, what's, gone, what's happened to my old self? My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul is recognizing that his old self the self that, that is so self-centered and self-focused and so much part of the culture of the world that is, that is leading him away from God and from people, he's acknowledging, you know what, that old self, 
It's already been dealt with. It was dealt with upon the cross. Paul's saying, my old self has been crucified. I, I don't know. I think when you get crucified, you, you, there's no half dead. It's dead is dead. And so the old body, Paul's saying, has been crucified with Christ. And so as I take up my cross, as I daily take up my cross, I daily remember his cross. I am reminded daily that myself, the stuff I struggle with, the stuff that, I, that, I, that is constantly trying to take me away from the things of God, I need to remind myself, remind myself that, that there's too many selves involved here. It is multiple personalities almost. I've got to remind myself that myself was crucified. The stuff that is taking me away from God's best for my life, that actually has already been dealt with on the cross. I need to remind myself of that. And that, that, I, that it's no longer, well, living in me now is Jesus. Living in each one of us now is Jesus. And so that old self, that old nature has been cut off. And I'm reminded daily, as I pick up my cross daily, and reminded of his cross, I'm reminded that his power lives in me. His power enables me to deny myself, to give up my own way. And just being aware of this is not enough. Just uh, having this verse written on a nice calligraphy poster on your wall or on a screensaver, it's not enough. We've got to learn how to walk this out every day. So daily when I take up my cross, I've got to remind myself that I'm not the boss. When I take up my cross, I've got to realise, you know what, I'm not always right. I need to recognise the dangerous trap that the enemy is laying for me. I talked about this last week, the dangerous trap of seeing things from a human point of view. When I take up my cross, I've got to stop seeing things from my own perspective. When I see things through the cross, I've got to take me off the throne and put Jesus back on the throne. I need to understand that, that when I pick up my cross, that there's a partnership involved. There's a partnership of, of Jesus in me. And there's my willingness to surrender to his leading. You know, I didn't put the passage up here because I thought I'd run out of time, which I probably have. But there's a passage where um, Peter says, because Jesus, this is hard. It is hard. And so sometimes we think, sign up for Christianity. Here's a free puppy. Good luck with it. You don't have to do anything. No, no, no. We've got a responsibility. And the passage is, so Jesus is talking about this sort of stuff. And Peter goes, Jesus, he goes, Lord, he says, we've given up everything to follow you. What's in it for me? Peter says this. Peter's saying, what's in it for me? And Jesus goes on and says a couple of things about reigning 12 thrones in heaven. But what he goes on to say is, anyone who's given up fathers and mothers and the things of this world, you will receive a hundredfold, not just in eternity, but now. Because sometimes we think, well, what, what's, 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 what's in it for us? And, and I think I said it before at the beginning of uh, end of worship, we can lose track of what our salvation is. We can lose track of, of yes, I think our world, we've lost, Dan, I think we've lost an eternal perspective. I think we live so much for the here and now 
that eternity is, well, we don't really care about eternity. But I tell you what, Jesus cares about eternity so much. Jesus wants each one of us to spend eternity with him and be spared from something we don't talk too much about, a four-letter word, hell. We don't talk about the absence of God. We don't talk about eternal suffering that much, if at all. But it's, it's, it is so real that Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth and die on a cross so that we wouldn't need to experience it. But not just that, that we can experience his life now. We can experience his joy now. We can find his freedom and his forgiveness and his healing. and his, We can find all of that now. What's in it for me? Everything. Yes, eternity. I mean, it's almost like eternity is the bonus. This life is the bonus. That's what's in it for us. This is why across the globe people have given their lives to be part of Ecclesia, the church, understanding that Jesus loved them and, and Jesus has got a call for them and a place for them and, and a desire to be with them and a way for them to experience life, abundant life. A great promise Jesus gives us in verse 25, and we'll finish with this one. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. He's talking to disciples. He's talking, about, he's talking to his followers here. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You will find it. Friends, we need to understand the world is doing all it can to cause us to hang on to this life. It's trying to make us think that this life is all there is. Our, our health, yeah, our health's important. You know, don't... Uh, our, our finances, they're important. Our education, that's important. All those things, they're trying to hang on and saying they are the most meaningful things. And they are meaningful, but they are not the most meaningful thing. Jesus says, if you, if you give up your life, he goes, stop. See, see, our world is causing us to focus on ourselves and, because it's all about us. Jesus says, don't do that. It's flawed. It's faulty. You won't win. You won't survive. And it has no eternal value. Jesus rather says, you know what? If you, if, if you get, if Jesus says, if you, if you flip it around and do things my way, you'll discover that you can, you can make a decision today to, to give up your old way of doing life. You can, you can choose to, to, to give up and to deny yourself and remind yourself daily as you pick up his cross that Jesus upon his body took to nail to death our sinful desires and so we are we are righteous and we are set free and we are forgiven and we are whole and we are acceptable and we are forgiven that's because of everything jesus did for us on the cross and daily we can remind ourselves you know what the bits i struggle with that's been dealt with already and then the power that that raised jesus from the dead dwells inside of us <coughs> jesus says if you give up your own way of doing life if you give it up you will actually find it. You will find life. You will find life. And as you daily do this, we'll become more and more like him. And we become less and less like the world. And we find ourselves more and more swimming to the side of the river where we can be with him and become with him. The next verse goes, oh, no, I haven't got it, but the next verse says, what does a man gain the whole gain if he gains the whole world? 
God loses his soul. You know, so our, our, our focus, our world is to gain all we can get. That's the focus of our world, the river of culture. It's all about us. But Jesus says, you know what? You can get all that and lose what's so important. But this is the way of life. And this is an upside down, counterintuitive concept to the world we live in. And I believe that's what God calls us to do. And in that, we find life and we find joy. I don't think that's, it might be a, it might be a hard message, but I think it's a life-giving message. And I believe that all of us, if we can, if we can understand that, that what our, our self has been dealt with on the cross and remind ourselves every day that the cross, Jesus dealt with that and that we've got a spirit of God inside of us to, to walk in strength and victory, then slowly we'll find ourselves out of that fast-flowing stream of self and living in a life that we will discover, a life of abundance and find our life. You will save your life. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to test your memory. Lord, I just, um, I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that, that your spirit has been speaking louder than my words. And Lord, I pray that as we've explored what it is to deny ourselves or to, or to pick up our cross, Lord, we just be reminded about the cross that you picked up. And, and the reason you picked it up was for us that we would not just um, experience the joy of eternity with you, but we'd also experience the joy of eternity that starts now here with you on this planet. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to um, acknowledge and recognise the areas of ourself that are, are probably we haven't handed across to you. Help us to pick those things up and, and surrender them to you. Lord, help us to be willing to pursue your will, but help us to accept your way. And in the midst of the, the, your way, that we would find great joy and peace, your very presence with us. And that as we, as we walk your way to accomplish your will, that we would, uh, we would continue to be salt and light and be hope carriers and hope givers in the world that you place us in. And Jesus, I ask if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just, through your spirit, bring great encouragement. Lord God, I thank you that you don't condemn us. I thank you that you're not there to make us feel bad. Lord, I thank you that you are there to give us hope. You are the hope of the world. And that the task and the call that you have for us to deny ourselves, to give up our own way, to pick up our cross and follow you, that we can do that with your spirit's work in us. And as we do that, we would really just enjoy you in a greater way. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So um, if you are visiting...